Hello, and welcome to Greater Faith. You're listening to Teach Us to Pray, a message from Pastor Azalini. We hope that today's message blesses and encourages you as you go through your day. Praise God. Praise God. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. If you have it, say amen. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, everybody say a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many of you have ever heard that prayer before? Amen. I want to preach to you, or speak to you rather, tonight, uh, for the next few moments on this thought, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Amen. You may be seated. We, you and I, as apostolic believers, must pray. It's not that I should pray. I must pray. It's not just a good idea, it's necessary. It's not just a healthy habit or practice, it is essential. It's imperative. It's non-negotiable. It's paramount. It's foundational. You and I, we must pray. Mm, Hallelujah. I don't just need to pray. I have to pray. I have to pray to make it to heaven. I have to pray to know Jesus. I have to pray to understand his word. I have to pray to be victorious. I have to pray to be directed of the Holy Ghost. I have to pray to know him, and I have to pray to be known of him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I have to pray. Good evangelist friend of mine, uh, I heard a little clip of a message he preached recently, and this will probably be the best thing you heard all night, and I didn't author it. You ready? Here it is. He said, I don't pray because I'm spiritual. He said, I don't fast because I'm spiritual. He said, I pray because I'm carnal. I fast because I'm carnal. Isn't that the truth? That's I have to pray because I'm carnal. I have to pray. Ah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen, amen. His disciples asked Jesus... In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, teach us to pray. So tonight, I want to teach you 
to pray. Number one point I want to bring to you tonight is this. Prayer requires planning. If I am going to pray, I must plan ahead. Mm. That was powerful. If you don't believe me and you don't plan to pray, tell me how's your prayer life. Mm. But when you plan to pray, immediately your prayer life begins to grow. Mm. How many of you keep a calendar or a schedule in your phone or some people still use pen and paper like my wife, amen. But the rest of us that are saved, we use this, hallelujah. <laughs> How many of you keep a, a calendar? We schedule what's important, don't we? Right? You schedule doctor appointments. You write it down. You cancel work. I can't go to work. I got to go to the doctor. Kids, they're like, I, I got to get a physical. Please schedule it during school, right? Man, if I had to go to the dentist, I'd beg my mom, please do it during school hours, right? We schedule these things, and we put them on our calendar, and we move other things around. Why? Because we see that as important, so we plan to make it. We have to learn. As we grow and as we heal, hear me now, I'm equipping you tonight. That's what tonight is. That's what tethered is about, and that's what tonight is about. It's equipping us, right? We are in a year of growth and healing. Well, guess what? If we're going to have growth and healing, we need not only the capacity, but we need the tools to facilitate growth and healing in our lives. Mm. We have to learn, thank you, to stop treating prayer like the ER. And we need to start approaching it like preventative care. Mm. If I go regularly to my doctor, he can catch things before they're a big problem. You know how people usually pray? Oh, I need God in my life. My finances are a mess. I need God to save my marriage. My marriage is a wreck. My kid ran away from home. I just found out I got cancer, right? What do they do? They come running when there's a need or a situation that is bigger than they know how to deal with or is bigger than the resources they feel they have to address it. That's treating prayer like the emergency room when here's the truth and I'll give you an example when you pray on a regular basis then God will alert you to things that are going on with your kids before they become a big problem in your kids' lives I remember a couple years back our kids were were going to public school and uh there was an issue going on that they had not shared with me, right? 
But during prayer one morning, Brother Hammond, I was just praying for my kids like I normally would, Brother Jim, just calling their names out. And all of a sudden, I just kind of felt a little, uh, like pray about that a little bit more. So I started praying, and God said, your kids are dealing with something at school that they haven't shared with you. And then over breakfast, I'm sitting there talking to my kids, and I begin to ask them about school. And all of a sudden, we get two or three questions in, and something comes to the surface that needed to be addressed And you know what? This thing could have become a big problem in their life if it had not been for prayer. God will help you deal with issues before they become major crisis in your life when you live a life of prayer, but you've got to plan to pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. We plan things that are important to us. How many of you uh, remember when you were courting your significant other, you scheduled dates? Does anybody remember that? People still go out on dates, or do they just text each other now? I don't know. But people used to go out on dates, and I, I remember you'd save your money, you'd get excited about it, you anticipated it, you hoped someone else would ask you to do something the same night that you had a date just so you could be like, no, I can't. I'm like... I got a date Friday night. I can't go. Can't go. Right? Why'd you do that? Because it was important to you. That relationship meant something to you. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you told someone no because you already had time set aside for Jesus? Woo! Mm. Cole, I'm going to pick on you. You ready? You're looking down, so I, I, obviously I need your attention. Cole, I bet you people have asked you to do things that you couldn't do because you already tied up and had previous plans with somebody sitting near you, right? When's the last time somebody called you and said, hey, you want to meet for breakfast? And you said, I can't do that. I'm spending time with Jesus during those hours. Mm. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. If prayer is important, it's going to make it on your calendar. It's going to make it into a space in your life that is blocked out solely for Jesus uh, and nobody and nothing else is going to interrupt it. If prayer is going to be a part of your life, you have to plan to pray. Amen. Praise God. Second thing I want to point out to you tonight about prayer. First one was prayer requires planning. Number two is prayer requires a paradigm shift in what I value. Mm. How many of you already know people make a way for what they want? People make a way for what they want. There was a well-known author in the 80s and 90s. Does anybody remember that era? By the name of Alan Oggs. Anybody know? Anybody ever heard that name before? Alan Oggs? Uh, My wife has. She's probably heard me mention it a hundred times. Alan had cerebral palsy, 
He struggled with his balance when he walked. He had to exert a lot, a lot of energy when he spoke to enunciate his words to overcome some of his speech challenges. His physical challenges were daunting, to say the least. Many people with the same obstacles would have resorted to wasting away at home, living off of assistance and help, watching TV and feeling sorry for themselves. But not Alan. Reverend Oggs decided he wanted more from life than that. He decided he had value to give to the kingdom of God. And Alan Oggs became one of the most traveled and well-known religious speakers of the 80s and 90s. He authored an incredible book entitled, anybody know it? You got to have the want to. You got to have the want to. You've probably heard that title but didn't know who wrote it. You got to have the want to. Everywhere he went, he preached his testimony and added value and inspiration to people's lives. I remember going to church on Kemper Road in Cincinnati, Ohio, as a boy, and Alan Oggs came to preach. And this guy came up. He didn't have good balance. They had kind of a high chair that he had to use when he, when he spoke. He had his uh, drink there. You know, he was constantly wiping his mouth with a, with a towel because he struggled to control everything that was going on. But you know what? He began to tell his story about how he was determined to do something for God despite the challenges he wanted. And he dug out and cultivated a powerful, successful, and impactful ministry. You know why? Because he wanted to. And if you want to pray, you can pray. If it's important to you, you will do it. The, 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 the thing I have found about prayer is if I want to pray, I will pray. And if I don't want to pray, then I won't pray. You've got to want to pray. Mm. What do we want in life? We want what we value. In order to pray, you have to want to pray. Where does my desire to pray originate? My want to, to pray, will grow. You ready for this? As I begin to pray. The more you pray the more you will want to pray. How does that work? I'll show you. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Mm. Pastor, I've never prayed before. We'll just start somewhere. Start with five minutes. Start with 10 minutes. It may be an exercise of discipline in the beginning, but you can't draw close to God without him drawing close to you. And if you will make the effort to pray, you will feel the presence of God and he will draw close to you. And the more you exercise that discipline, the more you will want to exercise that discipline of prayer. Hallelujah. So if you're like, I don't want to pray, what should I do? Pray. 
pray until you want to. That's how you get the want to for prayer. Amen? Amen. Praise God. The more you pray, the more you will want to pray because prayer brings you closer to Jesus and the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you want to be with Jesus. I know I keep using this dating illustration tonight, but I don't know why that's coming to me. Um, but I just, I think back, where's my wife? Is she not in here? All right, thank God. Let me get this story out quick. All right. I mean, I just remember when, when Jennifer and I, you know, uh, were getting closer and we're dating each other, you know, the more she was around me, the more she wanted to be around me. And that's how... <laughs> That fell pretty flat, Brother Brandon. That was supposed to be pretty funny. But it works the same way with God. How many of you have ever been in the presence of the Lord? Woo. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, have been in the presence of the Lord on a Sunday, but then you didn't feel him again till the next Sunday? If you want to change that, prayer is how you do it. Because you can feel Jesus every single day of the week. You've just got to draw close to him in prayer. Amen. Praise God. The more I get to know him, the more I want to be with him. The more he speaks to me, the more I want to hear him speak. I want to hear the voice of God in my life every day. Let me tell you something. When you pray and you grow in relationship with God, you know what you're going to find? The more you pray, the less you have to fight to hear from God. You know why it's a fight to get a word from the Lord sometimes? Because we walk in this flesh and we treat prayer like the ER. But when you start treating prayer like a relationship, guess what? You can whisper to God and he'll whisper right back and you will hear it. You don't have to fight through 20 pounds of flesh just to hear the whisper of God. That's the benefit of prayer. Let me tell you something. I pray about something right now. And if God has something to say about it, I will hear him right now. But when I drift away from from the Lord and I begin to skip our time together and I'm outside of relationship and I need a word from God. You know what I got to do, Brother Cox? I got to run to the house of God and I got to hope that the preacher says something that will touch my situation or I got to hope that Brother TJ will come and pray for me and lay his hand on me and give me a word from the Lord. Why? Because I can't hear his voice for myself. Why? Because I'm outside of relationship with him. The the more you pray, the more you know his voice, and he can speak to you in a moment, and you know God's talking to you. Hallelujah. Amen. Prayer requires a paradigm shift in what I value. You've got to value prayer if it's going to be a part of your life, and you've got to plan to pray if prayer is going to be a part of your life. And the third point I want to bring to you about prayer tonight is this. Prayer needs a place. Prayer needs a place. Matthew 14, 23 says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart, apart, 
to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Luke 5 and 16 says, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Luke twenty two forty one says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. All of these three scriptures and many more in your Bible paint a picture to us that for me to be successful in prayer, I must have a place of prayer. Mm. I want to elaborate on this for a few moments. See, I believe in praying with your family, right? How many of you pray with your family? I believe in praying with your family. I believe in praying with your spouse, I believe in praying with your kids. I believe in praying with believers. We do that every time we gather. There's a biblical precedent for all of these examples that I just gave to you. I believe in praying with, but there is no substitute for getting alone with Jesus for yourself. Hallelujah. There are times, as a matter of fact, there should be a daily time where you withdraw, go apart, go a stone's cast further and find a place to pray with God. You must have a place of prayer. Now, saying this, you must have a place of prayer in this context. A place is literal and it is figurative. It is literal and figurative. And I'll uh, give you a couple examples. During the the summer months, certainly not in the last few days, uh, I walk up and down my driveway praying in the early morning hours. I'm like one of those guys. You ever, like, seen somebody that every time they talk on the phone, they got to walk? That's me. I like just the way my brain works. My brain, for whatever reason, my speech center is connected to my feet, and so I have to be able to walk if I'm going to think properly, right? And so I walk, and I pace up and down the driveway during the summer, and I, and I pray in the morning walking up and down the driveway. Uh, in the winter months, I, I pace the living room. I pace the living room. I'm back and forth in the living room praying, right? That is a, a place where I pray and sometimes I'm here in the afternoons and I just uh, I'll walk this circle over and over you see Dwight, Dwight does the same thing Brother Dwight, he just paces up and down here what's he doing? He's praying, this is a place of prayer for him so that's in the, in the literal sense. A place to pray represents though in the figurative sense not just literally, a place to pray represents making room in your life to get alone with Jesus. Yes, I want to pray in fellowship with others, but I want to know him for myself, and I want to be known by him. When when Jennifer and I were courting each other, you know what we were doing? We were getting to know each other. Yeah, and, and, and a group date is fine, but you can only get to know somebody so much in the presence of other people. You've got to have some alone time with somebody if you're going to really get to know them. And that's why you cannot, listen to your pastor, you cannot thrive in your relationship with God 
if the only prayer in your life is fellowship prayer and group prayer. You've got to have a place of prayer carved out for yourself in your life. Amen. There are some things that can only be shared in private. Some things you can only say alone. Some things he will only speak to you when you're alone. Did you hear that? There are some there are some words that God will only give you in your place of prayer. Let me tell you something. There are times where I've prayed and asked God for an answer to some things, and I thought I was going to get it in a dynamic church service, in a powerful church prayer meeting, but that's not where I got it. He gave it to me in my place of prayer. There are some answers you are only going to get when you get alone with God. Amen. Guys are being stingy with your hand claps tonight. Hallelujah. There is a level <laughs> there is a level of intimacy that can only be accomplished in private. Now, stay with me just for this next moment here, okay? Hopefully you've been with me for the whole time. But don't get off track in the next few minutes. Keep your brain right where my words are. Our bedroom has a door for a reason. The Bible says that when a husband and wife get married, they become one flesh, right? We all know what that means. Intimacy brings them together. Is everybody okay? Everybody on the same page? We are the bride of Christ. The Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to say, stay with me now, in verse 14 of the same chapter, the Word was made flesh and the next word is very important, and dwelt amongst us. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst It became flesh and it stayed. Okay? Stay with me. Intimacy with God is where the word becomes flesh in your life. Your life's not going to transform just because you come to the altar once a week and pray with everybody at church. Intimacy with God, getting alone with the Lord, is where the Word becomes flesh. It's in your place of prayer that God can deal with the deep issues of the heart. Because guess what? God isn't going to, in, in an altar service, God's not going to walk in and be like, right here in front of everybody, let's deal with the lust issue in your life. Right? 
Because God's not trying to destroy you. God's not trying to humiliate you. You'll know it's there. There'll be conviction in your spirit. As a matter of fact, you'll likely even feel some condemnation because of the unresolved issues in your life. And then you're going to walk around and you're going to live in this cycle of dysfunction and guilt because you thought there would be this magic that happened because you came to the altar one time or you came to church twice this month and you cried both times. So surely my life's going to change. No, your life changes. The word becomes flesh when you have a place of prayer. When I continually engage the presence of God on a daily basis, little by little, that transformation begins to happen in my life. Mm. Ah. True transformation happens in your place of prayer. True transformation happens in covenant relationship with God. I become more like him the closer I get to him. Amen. Have you ever met someone that when they started being in a relationship with somebody, they themselves began to change? All of a sudden, they start talking different. Their availability changes. I remember this, being a teenage guy, like when one of my guy friends would get a girlfriend, all of a sudden they weren't down to hang out anymore. What happened? Their availability changed. Their priorities changed. Hallelujah. And they began to change themselves. All of a sudden they were just acting different. Their priorities were different. And if it was a good girl, the trajectory of their life changed. She was a bad girl, the trajectory of their life changed. What happened? They came into relationship with somebody, and that relationship began to change them, and it changed their direction. The same thing happens with God. There are not magical events or sporadic encounters that give you quantum leaps in Jesus. It happens through consistent engagement in relationship with Jesus. That's where the transformation happens. It happens in a place of prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, they made a place for relationship, and now that relationship is changing them. Your apostolic transformation is not about here, your pastor, your apostol if you call me your pastor, hallelujah. Your apostolic transformation is not about rules, do's and don'ts, or regulations. It's about changing because of the relationship you have made a place for in your life. I don't change because there's a rule or a standard I'm adhering to. I change because the one I'm around is changing me. Hallelujah. Ooh, hallelujah. 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 I'll give you a great example of this, one that's near and dear to my heart. I was recently 
or wounded in my spirit when I looked at social media. That's a great place to get your feelings hurt. Um, and I saw a post of my daughter wearing a Mississippi sweatshirt. Cut me to the core. She was, she was raised here, Brother Brandon. Only thing that could have made it worse is if she had worn a Michigan sweatshirt. God forbid. Hallelujah. And I asked, how was she able to change a lifetime allegiance so quickly? Relationship. Brother TJ, you know, I invited her to go fishing a hundred times and she didn't want to go. She lived there a week with that boy. And she sent me a picture of a bass on the end of a fishing pole. What happened, Brother Jim? Relationship changed her. Mm. Woo. Ah. Let me tell you something. We're changing around here. But we're not just changing for the sake of change. We're changing because of the one we're getting closer to. Jesus is changing me. Jesus is changing you. When you make a place for prayer, you are making a place for change to happen in your life. It happens in the context of a relationship with him. Hallelujah. Mm. When I make a place for Jesus, I become more like him. What he likes, I like. What he hates, I hate. Oh, you can hate as a Christian? Oh, yeah. If you don't know that, it's just because you haven't spent a lot of time in here. But there are some things you should hate because there are things he hates. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, if you want a real good listen, especially we got these three days coming up where you're not supposed to listen to secular media, you need something good to listen to, go look up James Wilson's message that he preached at North American Youth Congress called It's Okay to Hate Away. It's okay to hate away. You'll knock your socks off. You'll be like, man, I thought pastor was a good preacher, but not anymore. Dear Jesus, hallelujah. What he hates, I hate. Where he goes, I go. What he does, I do. Relationship changes us. It makes the Word. What is the Word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, it makes the Word become flesh in our life. That's what relationship does. Amen? Amen. Um, we have 27 days left in our tethered initiative. How many of you have set out and embarked on this tethered initiative, Right? And uh, just for anybody who's still deciding, not sure if you want to do it, you can jump in anytime. And I just want to kind of expound a little bit. Tethered is not just about finishing a reading plan. You can customize your own reading plan. Tethered is about putting something down to pick this up. We started it with our phones, but there are other things that you can use for that. Uh, Hudson was asking me if he could do Tether, and I said, yeah. He's like, because I don't have a phone. I said, well, you don't have to have a phone to do Tether. I'm like, what are, you, what are you on all the time? I'm like, you can put your Nintendo down. You know, you can put your, the iPad down, whatever. It's about putting something down to pick this up and engage in this word 
every day consistently. Amen? We have 27 days left in that. Uh, how many of you have noticed a difference in your life with the increased reading of the Word? Three of you? Tremendous. That's a fantastic. It's having a profound effect. Hallelujah. So glad. We, uh, I, re I read most of my reading in the morning, but I take that pocket-sized Bible out and open it to wherever every time I would have reached for my phone to do something that is unnecessary. And I can tell you it's having a profound effect on me. Um, tethered is making room in your life that used to be occupied by distraction. Tethered is not just about completing that reading plan. It's about making a place for Jesus in your life. 2024 is going to be your year of, does anybody remember? Say it. Growth and healing. I believe during this month of January, the Lord has been equipping us with the tools, the habits, the disciplines, and the vision we need for growth and healing to happen in our lives. I want to encourage you, especially during these four weeks of Tethered, to make a place for prayer in your life. Make a place for prayer. Make a place where you can be vulnerable with God. Make a place where the Word can become flesh in your life. Amen? Amen. I'm closing. Tonight, I wanted to teach to you and convey to you the power of prayer. On Sunday morning of our installation services, I don't, how many of you were here for Pastor Enzi's message? He, he spoke on multiplication. It was so powerful. Uh, and we just started our Tethered Initiative. And tonight, we have learned about prayer in, in conjunction with that Tethered Initiative. And prayer... I had this thought today, prayer combined with Bible reading is not adding one thing to another, but this will have a multiplication effect on your life. When you pray and read the word, it's not addition, it's multiplication, and it has a multiplication effect on your life. Some of you are going to grow more in the next 27 days than you have in a long time. You're going to have a spiritual growth spurt. Amen. Hallelujah. How many, Jim, did you have growth spurts growing up? Yeah, a couple. You still growing? <laughs> still growing. Amen. You know, I had growth spurts growing up. And uh, I remember when I would go through a growth spurt, I had growing pains. Anybody ever have growing pains before? Or your bones ache? <laughs> I had growing pains. Some of you might have some growing pains in the next month or two. As God begins to grow you, there may be some things that are uncomfortable in your life that God is pushing you out of or pushing you toward, right? It's uncomfortable getting up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. to pray when I didn't used to get up early to pray, right? That's a, what is that? That's a growing pain, but it's worth it. You won't grow without it. So embrace the growing pains as God continues to grow you. Amen? Amen. Would you stand for just a moment? I want to, if you'll allow me, just for a couple minutes as I close out this service, I want to read to you um, an excerpt from a study to encourage you so that you will know the profound effect that this tethered initiative will have on your life, not just in the next 27 days, but the, the objective of tethered is not just so that you'll read the Bible for 30 days. 
It's so you'll start reading the Bible. When that 30 days is over, you will continue reading the Word of God. Many Bible verses clearly attest to the power of God's Word. Unfortunately, today, many Christians fail to tap into the power regularly. As a result, our spiritual growth stagnates. We rely on our own strength to deal with daily trials and temptations, making it more likely that we will fall. Those falls hurt us and hurt our witness. The evangelical community has recently recognized that most Americans own Bibles, but very few actually read them. Nine out of ten, that's 93% of Americans say that they own a Bible. In fact, the average American household has four Bibles. And the Bible still remains the best-selling book of all time. Even in this country, which has been described as a land of religious freelancers, most Americans still believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Unfortunately, owning a Bible... And believing it's the inspired word of God typically does not mean that people actually read the Bible. However, only about 6 in 10 Americans say they read the Bible at least on occasion, down from three-fourths in the 1980s. Less than two out of five read the Bible at least once a week. In addition, only one out of four American Christians completely agree with the statement that they regularly study the Bible to find direction for their lives. A lack of scriptural engagement produces several consequences. Disengagement from God's Word has left American believers ignorant of basic Bible facts and truths, vulnerable to false teachings, and in many cases, spiritually immature. As our research has demonstrated, those who read the Bible don't miss this point right here. Those that read the Bible at least four times a week, that's the majority of your week, are less likely to engage in behaviors such as gambling, pornography, getting drunk, sex outside of marriage, and other sin. There are definite signs that Christians are struggling in the battle against such temptations. Studies by several different organizations suggest that about half of men attending church are involved in pornography. A significant minority of self-identified born-again Christians, that's us, particularly those under 35, have cohabited and divorce rates are just as high among born-again Christians as among other groups. An estimated 8 out of 10 youth from evangelical Christian homes walk away from their faith by the age of 23. You guys hearing all this? For several years now, the Center for Bible Engagement has researched why so many Americans own Bibles but never read them. Listen to this. The belief that people are experts on their own lives remains one of the key principles guiding our research. That's tough to hear, isn't it? When sampling the general population, non-believers, they discovered 59.7% of tweens never read the Bible. 
53% of teens never read the Bible. 71% of people 18 to 24 years old never read the Bible. And 62% of people 25 years old and older never read the Bible. When speaking to self-identified, born-again Christians, only 25% of tweens, excuse me, 34% of tweens never read the Bible. 17% of tweens never read the Bible. 39%, 18, 24, never read the Bible. 29%, 25 and up, never read the Bible. 40% of tweens read the Bible at least once a week. 45% of teens read the Bible at least once a week. 18 to 24 years old, yeah, 31% of those read the Bible at least once a week. I'm not expecting you to remember all this, but I do want you to just hear it for the point that I'm going to make. And 25 years old and older, only 31% read the Bible once a week. Now, those same age groups, here are the percentages that read it four times or more. 25% of tweens read the Bible four times or more a week. 37% of teens, this is for self-identified born-again Christians, read the Bible four or more times. 18 to 24 is 29%, and 25 and up is 39%. Several other statistics further illustrate the extent to which many believers are disconnected from the Bible. Three-fourths of young adult Christ followers have not read the entire Bible. Among other adults ages 25 and up, more than half have not read all of God's Word at least once. I guarantee you those statistics hold true in this room here tonight. In terms of Bible knowledge, ten questions on basic Bible facts revealed some important holes. For example, three out of ten teens in church did not know who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Half of young adults and more than one-third of older adults could not identify the town where Jesus was born. The low rates of Bible engagement among Christians have tremendous ramifications for local churches and the body as a whole. Like sheep, we tend to drift away. I'm almost done. It's like a minute and a half left. Like sheep, we tend to drift away from our shepherd. Living in a world filled with temptations, disconnection from God's word can increase our chances of giving in to those temptations. Without a firm grasp of the Bible, nurtured through daily reading or listening, we weaken our ability to defend the faith we claim. We are less confident to share that faith with others, and we are more vulnerable to falling prey to false teachings. The data collected attests to many of these effects. For example, statistical analysis revealed that controlling For other factors such as age, gender, church attendance, and prayer, Christians who are engaged in Scripture, Christians who are engaged in Scripture, most days of the week, that's four or more, lower the odds of participating in these behaviors. I read all of that to make these statistical points. If you read the Bible four times or more a week, you are 57% less likely to engage in alcohol. You are 68% less likely to engage in sex outside of marriage. You are 61% less likely to engage in pornography. 
and 57% less likely to engage in other sin. The power of four is evident when we consider that for some of these behaviors, getting drunk, sex outside of marriage, examined, there is no statistical, hear this, there is no statistical difference between Christians who read or listen to the Bible two or three days a week compared to those who do not engage in Scripture at all or only once a week. The percentages don't change until reading the Bible becomes a majority factor in your life. It doesn't change till you get over that number three and are reading the Bible at least four times a week. For those who read the Bible four days a week or more, you are 228% more likely to share your faith with others. You are 231% more likely to disciple other people. I thought of you when I read that, Brother TJ. And you are 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. So no, tethered wasn't just some wild idea that your pastor came up with. Tethered is a life-altering, completely transforming initiative that this church has stepped into because this book here, coupled with prayer, will change your life. How many of you want that for you and for your family? Amen. Let's pray together tonight in dismissal. Jesus, we love you. Thanks for joining with us today. Be sure to check us out online at greaterfaith.church or find us on Facebook by searching My Greater Faith. There you can watch this sermon and others as well as live stream all available services. If you like what you heard today, be sure to follow our podcast for new sermons and Bible studies as they become available. Greater faith. Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything's possible.